The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Why don't you please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. As we're in our series on 1 Corinthians, what we're seeing again and again is that Paul is bringing us back to the cross. He's showing us what the Christian life is really all about and that we're seeing what the temptation in Corinth, and I think a very similar temptation in today, is that Christians, and especially in Corinth, and I think this is true everywhere, is that a lot of people are viewing the cross of Christ as though it is just some kind of password to get us into heaven. But the cross of Christ is way more than just a password, kind of some beginning launch point. Rather, it is the pattern of our entire lives. It's the power of our lives, and the way of the cross is the way of the Christian. And what Paul is doing in this beginning of 1 Corinthians, and I think throughout the whole letter, as he is calling our attention back to the wonderful and scandalous cross. Look with me, starting in verse 17, and we'll read through the end. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and because of him. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. It occurred to me the other day that my kids are now growing up in a blockbuster-less world. They, They don't have the experience of going on a Friday night, piling in the car and going to the video store, walking around, picking out movies and being turned down multiple times by your parents, and then finally deciding on one movie. I mean, I love going to the video store with my folks. And then you get the VHS, and some of the high school kids are like, VHS, I'm always talking about. Um, And you would put it in, you'd watch it, and then you had to be kind and rewind. (laughs) Or you would be charged for not rewinding the movie. And in our house, we had one machine that this is all it did was rewind movies. Had no other purpose. I see a lot of heads nodding. It's like the most expressive you've ever been. Um, and all, it, ours was a little Corvette. You pop the hood, 
Yeah. And you put the tape in, you put it down, it was way faster, and it didn't wear out your VCR. And I, and I, Nile and I were talking about how funny it was that we had that one machine. And all it had one purpose. One purpose. And you don't think about it today at all. It has no relevance, but you remember it and go, yeah, that was, that was kind of cool. And sadly, I think a lot of Christians today view the cross of Christ like the tape rewinder. It was a good thing back then, good for when I needed it, served its purpose for me back then, but I don't really think about it much today. It doesn't really have any relevance on my life today. I don't really see the importance of looking back to the cross of Christ right now in my everyday life. And that kind of thinking is toxic, it is tragic, and it will result in a spiritual paralysis. And the Corinthians, this is exactly what's happening, because they are beginning to think that the gospel of a crucified Jesus is nice, but it's not really relevant to everyday life. They want to pursue wisdom. They want to pursue this esoteric, this learning, this ever-learning. What's ha- this is a buzzword in the Corinthian letters, this pursuit of wisdom and, and this boasting in wisdom. And I think of the American church today. Vast amounts of people are going to services, not so much to worship Jesus, and his cross, and to sing about his cross, but to maybe get some marriage tips, to pursue wisdom, to get some moral encouragement, to have some kind of churchified experience so we feel good about ourselves. And churches are meeting those demands and create environments and experiences where people demand signs like the Jews, and they demand wisdom like the Greeks, and like in Georgia, they demand orthodoxy. But we preach Christ crucified. We're not meeting these demands, and a bizarre thing has happened in the American church, and we have become obsessed with services and not making disciples. Frank, I I don't care if we have, like, a great service and we're not making disciples. What's the point? The point is that people are being made into disciples, being baptized in the name of Christ, and being taught to observe all that he has commanded us to do to every nation. See some guys, other pastors I know, and we're having a production meeting today. What are you, a production meeting? What are you talking about? Like, you can't produce the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of the crucified and risen Christ. And David Platt, this is a piercing thing when he says, why does it take so much stuff, lights and instruments, the best singers, fog, all of these things for us to be excited about Christ? It's because the shock and awe of the cross has been lost on us. And if we aren't careful, we can begin to eclipse the cross and his empty tomb and his invitation to invite sinners to be forgiven in him. Because in Corinth, what's happening is they're realizing that to talk about a crucified Christ is not very cool. It's not, becoming, it's not very cool in Corinth to talk about this. I mean, Paul got ran out everywhere he went. So they're learning, okay, the more we talk about this, it's not going well for us. And that's the same temptation for us today. You may not talk about Christ or talk about what you do here with your neighbors and friends because it's kind of odd. Guys, no matter how much we dress up the gospel, no matter how you try to speak of it at its core, it is still very much about a bloody God-man stapled to a cross and rising from the dead. And we will experience gospel power in our lives and our churches not by being cutesy and clever, for that actually neuters the gospel. It's funny that the whole church growth movement and seeker sensitivity and all that mumbo jumbo, trying to make the gospel more relevant, actually makes it irrelevant. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 17. 
I'm not coming to you with words of eloquent wisdom, which the Corinthians sought and they wanted, this great presentation and this razzle-dazzle of wisdom. But Paul says, I don't come with that. Why? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So there is a way that you and I can carry ourselves where we actually spade and neuter the gospel. When we remove its power, but we can experience real supernatural power with convictional clarity. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. What are we about? Christ crucified. What is our whole church about? Christ crucified. I love that he says, we preach. So not just Paul, not just the apostles, but we, Paul, me, you, church of corn. So us all, when he's using this word preach, it's not just this, what's happening now. It's when you and I, the same word, when you and I are declaring the gospel, whether it's on Sunday mornings, in a cubicle, at a coffee shop, there is a proclamation of Christ crucified, and we are all called to do it. And this is a, look at what he calls it. This is unavoidable. We preach Christ crucified, and notice this is, it's Christ crucified, because it's very easy to talk about Christ. It's a whole nother thing to be very Texan. It's a whole nother to talk about Christ crucified and then risen from the dead. So what is that? It is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. What in the world is a stumbling block? Like, what, like try to think about this. Okay, what, stumbling block, what does that mean? Where do, you, where do you buy these? Are these like a thing in the culture? Is this like Lego that's been left out? I mean, you ever step on a Lego at night? What, this, so this, this isn't meant to give the impression this is something, oh, you kind of trip up on that. This is the word scandal. It's offensive. It's off, off-putting. It's disgusting. Christ crucified. It's disgusting to the world. So what is the car- cross to the world? This is where we have to see. The more that we see what the cross is to the world, is what we are becoming to the world if we have been crucified with Christ. I read recently an article talking about how college students in some parts of the United States are viewing Christians and viewing very fundamentalist people and viewing people who are going against the grain of American culture. And a lot of these students were saying, I wish all the Christians would be brought together and arrested and put in prison, never to hear from again. I wish all the Christians would be bundled up and just shipped off to some other country. I wish we could just rid the world of Christians. These are what college students are saying and college campuses in the United States of America. So this is headed our way. That is the next generation, and we can either embrace it, or we can run away from it, or try to do what the Corinthians are doing and try to augment our message so we're not seen as freaks. But what Paul is calling them to do and us to do is to embrace the freakishness. Look at verse 18. The word of the cross, this is a great synonym for it, just the whole gospel, is folly to those who are perishing. So to those who are still in the world, under the wrath of God, on their way to eternal torment and hell, the lifeboat looks like silliness to them. It's idiocy. It's moronic is what these words mean. And Paul isn't writing these things so we can gather as a bunch of Christians and go, yeah, look at how crazy the world is. But that's how a lot of times we read some of this. It's folly to those who are perishing in that dumb world. That's not what Paul's intending. Paul is saying, look, here's your reality. Here's how people in Corinth view what you love. And church, here's how people in Tomball view what you love. And this is how you will be viewed. And you are in danger of viewing the cross in the same way that the world does. That's Paul's point. 
that your values begin to look more like the world and less like the crosses. You'll begin to act like the world and not the church. It was very common in Greek cultures to be obsessed with the pursuit of wisdom, this ever learning, especially in Corinth. And so they're beginning to think Jesus is good, but they want to move their focus. They're beginning to focus on other things. It's very elementary. It's very easy. Where's the deep stuff? Where's the real power? Where where is the real wisdom where we can engage with others? Because the culture they're ministering to and on mission is not impressed with Jesus. Jesus, in the world's eyes, is the opposite of power, wisdom, and significance. And this is what the Corinthians were after, power, wisdom, and significance. People love Jesus' teachings, Christ's teachings, fine. Love your neighbor, great. Do to others you would have them do unto you, yeah. And don't judge. Love Christ's teachings. But you begin to talk about the word of the cross, it's intolerable. That doesn't jive well with the world. Christ crucified. And we have to believe and grasp this again. Christianity, if you're new to Christianity, let me just lay it out for you. Christianity is first and foremost not about the teachings of Jesus. It is first and foremost about the cross of Jesus. And then his teachings follow. For we cannot obey his teachings. We cannot line up with his teachings without his cross. The, the teachings of Jesus are not meant just for the whole world to hear and kind of talk, talk about them, debate them. They are for those who believe. The Sermon on the Mount is not for just to apply some morality into our lives. The Sermon on the Mount is for those who have been crucified with Christ and now find themselves in the kingdom of God. We cannot separate Christ from his teachings and we cannot separate Christ from his cross. A crossless Christ is nothing. And a Christless cross is nothing. Christ crucified in the place of sinners, dying to pay for sins, taking our sins upon himself, laying his life down, and then rising again from the dead, giving us new life all by simple faith in him. This is what stands at odds with the world. Look at verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. We see this in the Gospels again. Prove it. The Jews want signs. Prove it. Authenticate yourself, and we'll believe. I remember having a conversation with a guy of evangelism, and he would just say, I just wish God would show up and tell me he's real. Like, he did that once already. Jesus did prove it. His missing body is the sign. Jesus said to himself, I will only give you one sign, the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, me, spend three days in the belly of the earth, and I will rise again. Greeks, Gentiles, seek wisdom, this learning, this intellectualism, just pursuing knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. They want, this would be like someone who, I would just, I want the morality. I want the teachings. I want Christ. So maybe we'll just teach Christian stuff. We'll teach people how to, you know, do their budgets on Sunday morning, and we'll teach people seven ways to have a hot marriage. Well, that's what we'll do. And then if we're able, then we'll bring in Christ. Paul says, no, we don't cater to the world's demands. We don't edit our message. Verse 23, but I know they seek these things, and it doesn't matter. But we preach Christ crucified, knowing it's a stumbling block to Gentiles, to the Jews, and folly to Gentiles. It is difficult for you and I in the 21st century to grasp how offensive and distasteful the talk about crucifixion was in the first century. For us, we have years of hearing it, years of seeing a cross, wearing them, and thinking nothing of it. 
But in the first century, it was distasteful and disgusting to even speak of crucifixion. To the Jews, this is scandalous. And to the Greeks, it's moronic. I mean, good Roman citizens, they would not even talk about crucifixion and a polite conversation. There was no way crucifixion would just organically come up in a conversation. It was, it was totally avoidable. And that's why the Christians looked weird. They're gathering together and singing songs about a cross. You're, they're gathering together and they're eating some meal of, of Jesus' skin and blood. They're having love feasts. They're calling each other brother and sister. What kind of freaks are these people? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We, we are doing the same freaky stuff, singing songs to a crucified carpenter who we say is still alive and will one day come back as the sky rips open. He'll be coming on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood. This is what we believe and love. In the first century, it crucified anyone, was vile and disgusting, reserved for the worst of the worst. And so now you add on top of that, no, we believe and love a crucified God. We love a crucified Savior. Not one caked in the blood of his own enemies, but one caked in his own blood. And then risen from the dead, who is alive today and is not bone dust. This is a scandalous thing to talk about. And Paul is urging the church at Corinth, embrace the freakishness of it. Embrace the oddity that is the gospel that you say, now we have one man who reigns and rules as a Galilean and galactic emperor, and he invites and he demands all people to fall to their knees and worship him. Paul's urging the Corinthians, don't abandon this freaky message. Embrace it. And us too, as our culture keeps going in the way it's going, you and I will be more tempted to edit, to alter, and to kind of tone down our commitment to Christ. But now, more than ever, we must ramp it up. The Corinthians are moving beyond the cross because they realize it's not as cool to talk about it. Let's talk about wisdom. Let's talk about other things. And Paul says, no, you don't realize. His summary, his statement throughout this whole thing is you don't realize that what is the higher wisdom of the world is foolishness. And what you think to be the foolishness of the cross is the wisdom of God. Throughout this whole section, you see Paul playing with these words, wisdom and foolishness, again and again and again. It's almost like you need air quotes as you're reading to understand what he's saying, or else it's really confusing. So look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, so good wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. You see what he's saying? In the wisdom of God, you can't know God through wisdom and the way of the world, the worldly wisdom. How do you know God? It pleased God through the folly, air quotes, of what they think to be folly, foolishness, idiocy, of what we preach to save those who believe. So air quote, folly, verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, true, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the air quotes, foolishness of God. What you think to be the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness, air quotes, of God is stronger than men. So basically he's saying you're operating like these things can jive together and they cannot. You can have the way of the world and their wisdom, or you can have the way of God and his wisdom, Christ, the power of God. So basically he's inviting them to put these two wisdoms side by side and go, you can have the way of the world or the way of the cross, the way of God. So you want to bank on being a good person? Or you want Jesus to die in your place and to save you from your sins. 
Do you want to bank on your ability to hold it together, or do you want Jesus to die in your place and keep you till the end? Do you want to labor under guilt, or do you want Jesus to die in your place and set you free? Do you want to fight for prominence and power and lose? This is what happens in Corinth. They're fighting for significance. They're going to lose. Christians, we will never be seen on this side of the eschaton as important and significant people. A day is coming in the Bible Belt where Christian business luncheons are not profitable for your business to go to. And they become detrimental to your business. And I bet they stop happening. They stop being advertised. I bet I'll stop getting emails about them. You ever realize there's always someone better than you? I remember thinking this as a little boy. There was always someone better than me at whatever I wanted to do. Maybe I had low self-esteem. I don't know. But I think it helped me. As a fourth grader wearing husky jeans, I don't think I was ever going to become a professional basketball player. And I noticed there was always kids better than me. Always. Every age, everything. There was always someone better. And always someone better than that person. Always someone better, better, better. This is what Paul's trying to get them to realize. Don't you realize... He says later, you're not impressive people. And the world is clawing and fighting and jockeying for significance. And Paul's basically saying, do you want to fight for that? Or do you want Jesus to give you the right to be called a a child of God and be a co-heir with Christ? You realize we are not junior heirs in the kingdom. We are co-heirs. Jesus giving us the share of all that is his to enjoy fully and freely and finally forever the way of the world or the way of the cross. So we know what the cross is to the world. What is the cross to you? What is the cross to be to the Christian? It's more than the password. It's more than the open sesame into eternal life. It's the center. The word of the cross is a summary statement for all that Jesus is and he has done and is really going to do. The world thinks the cross is weird, but to those who are being saved, what is it? Look at verse 18. What is it to us? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but but to us who are being saved. To be a Christian means you have been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved fully at the end. What is it to us who are being saved? It's the power of God. So what do you believe is the power of God in your life? It's not you. What do you believe is the power of God in this church? Like it's, I think it's interesting and bizarre that we have these church growth conferences. I think it's, really, I think it's stupid. What the power is not in techniques and plans and whiteboards. The power is the cross. It's the power in your missional community. What's the power in your evangelism? Why we have such confidence to talk about a crucified Christ is because it's the power of God. As Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believed, first the Jew and then to the Greek. And with the cross being the power of God, Paul is doing a little kind of a, a wordplay with them. They want power that's going to make them feel superior to others. And that's a lot of times what we want. We want power to feel more important and that we're o- over others. Paul says, no, the power of the cross means it brings change. The fact that the cross is power means it brings change. It does things. Lives change. As Paul is going to say later in 1 Corinthians 6, he's going to tell them, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not think that idolaters and revilers and and murderers and thieves and blasphemers and homosexuals and drunkards are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. 
So in that little section in 1 Corinthians 6, you get a real snapshot of the church at Corinth. Former blasphemers, idolaters, revilers, murderers, thieves, homosexuals, all together. And now Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the cross is the power. The cross makes lives change, makes hearts change, makes homes change, makes marriages change, makes values change when we follow the way of the cross. The world sees a crucified Jesus of Nazareth as crazy and weak, but Christians see it as the power and wisdom of God. It's, it's like the aha moment of your life. It's like you finally see. It's like in the Matrix. You took the blue pill or the red one. I don't remember which one's supposed to be. You take the good one. And you're ripped out of the Matrix and you see it all. By the cross of Christ, you see the point of the universe. You see why you were created. You see why all of this is here. You learn your purpose, your meaning of life, and everything comes into focus because we preach Christ crucified, verses 23 and 24. Jesus has the power of God. We're being saved, and Jesus has the wisdom of God, how we're being changed, all from the cross. So if you want spiritual power and you want change, you want wisdom, there is one source and the whole cosmos where to find this, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. The cross must be our anthem, not just once. You, don't have an, you can't have an anthem and just say you, once. Like, you know, people are like, oh, what's your song? Oh, my song is, you don't just listen to it once. You love it your whole life. The cross is over your whole life, and the Corinthians are getting tired of the cross. They're leaving it behind so they can really grow. They have eclipsed the cross. But you cannot leave the cross behind. The second to leave the cross behind is to leave Jesus behind. The Jesus who says in the Gospels, pick up your cross and follow me daily. So right now, like the Corinthians, what what are you pursuing that is pushing the cross out of the way? What are you pursuing that the only way for you to truly pursue it is to not have the shadow of the cross looming over you? A sin you want? An accomplishment? Let's see, we're going to ask it this way. What do you think is better than Jesus? That, you would, that you, you would take this one thing if it meant not losing Jesus, because a Christian would say, no, I wouldn't. If, if having that means I lose Jesus, no, I don't want that. But a Christian might say in sin, I'll take that if it means I'll, I won't enjoy Jesus as much. What's that one thing you would take if it meant not enjoying Jesus more? Like, yeah, I'd be, I'd be okay having that and being okay with my current enjoyment of Christ. To have that, to be there, is to fall into the temptation of the Corinthians. Christ, the power of God, the word of the cross, is more powerful, more satisfying than anything we could ever want. And today is the Super Bowl. Every year, it's the biggest event in sports. People are going to get riled up. They're going to scream. They're going to get happy. They're going to get mad. They're going to be emotionally affected. People are going to party. And one team is going to hold up the trophy and celebrate and spray champagne all over each other. And for some athletes today, it is going to be the most significant, powerful event, not just in their careers, but in their lives. 
but not Rocky Sito. He's one of the assistant coaches of the Seattle Seahawks, and he knows what matters most. In an article on the Gospel Coalition, in his interview with them about his faith, his football career, and Super Bowl 49, the assistant coach, Rocky, said he asked for one additional editorial favor. Listen to what he said. In my interview, can we emphasize that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer, that he's the greatest treasure in the entire universe, Cito said. Jesus is better than the Super Bowl. Assistant coach. Go Seahawks. <laughs> this su- he goes on, this Super Bowl thing, it's such a big deal to people of the Northwest, he adds. You can see how the Seahawks provide identity for so many people. And what's cool is that God has opened up a platform through winning to talk about Jesus Christ, the greatest treasure of all. So why do we want to win? I know the brothers, the Christian brothers on this team, they want to win to glorify God and tell more people about Jesus Christ. He probably looks like an idiot to unbelieving teammates, to other coaches around the league. What a freak. This is what we sacrifice for and labor for and go after for. This is the biggest event of the year in the NFL. And he says, I know, but Jesus is better. This is a man who gets the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. By the cross, Jesus becomes everything to the Christian. Look at verse 26. Paul, I love this. For consider your calling, brothers. He's basically, guys, let's, let's think about who you are real quick, who you were. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's encouraging. He's saying, look, you are not impressive people. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You guys are not impressive in the world's eyes. You are ordinary people, viewed as some to be the scum of Corinth. Verse 27, you are foolish to the world. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He's like really encouraging them, really lifting them up because the way of the gospel is always backwards from what we perceive. The way up is down. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. The last shall be first. This is the way of the kingdom. God chose what is despised and what is low, what is weak to shame the strong, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why why does God do this? Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We have nothing to brag about. Look at verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So what has Jesus become to us? Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus becomes everything to us. The wisdom of God, sanctification, redemption, life. This is all from Christ. He's our wisdom. He's our way of life. Jesus is our righteousness. Our only right standing before God is Jesus alone. We do not smuggle in one inch of our good works for God to say, now I'll take you in. It is only by the complete and perfect sacrifice and life of Christ that God says, now I'll take you. Jesus only. Jesus is our sanctification. Our growth and godliness, our changed lives, they only come from Jesus. Jesus is our redemption, our ultimate and final salvation today and to come is Jesus only. It all comes from the cross. This is why Rocky Cito can say, Jesus is the greatest treasure in the universe because of what he gives me in the cross. 
And while the cross is a vehicle for scorn and shame and folly to the world, it is also a vehicle of honor and glory. Why do we get to benefit from the cross? Why? Why did this happen? So we could be saved, yes. To be forgiven, yes. Then you go even deeper. Why are we saved? Why are we forgiven? Even before we can answer that, we need to think about your life and my life because all of us in this room have not made the transition from viewing the cross as folly to viewing it as everything. So how does it happen? How do we make the jump from viewing the cross as idiocy, as whatever, as elementary, as I don't really care about that, as I'm sure there are some in this room today, I know there are, who don't care about it. So how does that transition happen? How do we go from that to thinking it's the power of God? Look at verse 21. It pleased God. Anytime you read that in the Bible, you should take note of that. This, is what, this, is, this thrills God. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You and I, all of us, anyone who has ever become a Christian, it's because someone told them the gospel, the power of God. It pleased God through gospel preaching. God loves gospel preaching. God loves your evangelism. And God is pleased to work through it and save people. God works, and that's my confidence in preaching. If I didn't really believe that God was pleased to work through my idiotic preaching, I would, I would just be a wreck. I would be insane. But God works in your evangelism. God is pleased to work through it. And he saves people. It pleased God to save. God saves. This is the first insight, how we see how we really make this jump from thinking it's crazy to thinking it's beautiful and glorious. And look at verse 27. How how does this really happen? Verse 27. But God chose. 28. God chose. 29. So that no human being might boast. Verse 30. Because of him. Why am I saved? Because of him. Why do I view Jesus as my redemption and sanctification and righteousness? Because of him. Why are you regenerated again by the power of the Holy Spirit? It's because of him you are in Christ Jesus. If you sit here today as someone who sees the cross of Christ as your life, it's because God called you. No one makes this change apart from God. But do you want, maybe you sit here today and go, I want it. I want, I want Jesus to be my redemption. I want Jesus to be my sanctification. I want Jesus to be everything to me like you're showing in God's word. If you want it, then if you want Jesus to be your savior, to save you from perishing, he's calling you now. The fact that you have the flicker of desire in your heart to want it, he is calling you. And you can receive him now. You can believe in him now. We've seen what the cross is to the world. The cross is to the Christian. And I think we all must see, because we must always have a much bigger view of the cross than we currently have ever growing. What is the cross to God? The cross is God's means of saving sinners. That's verse 21. God, please, God, to save people through the preaching of the cross. That the precious, eternal Son of God became a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and allowed himself to be put on the cross, allowed himself to be crucified, having sins placed on him, and exchanging our sins for his perfect life so he could save sinners for all who would believe. It's the cross is the display of God's love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. 
And Christ loves us that at the right time he would die for us. The cross is the power of God. And the cross is the wrecking ball between races and racism. Racism is one of the most disgusting and vile sins in the Bible Belt. Jokes about other races, all that kind of junk is satanic and against Christ. Even my wife speaking to someone in Tomball, saying, oh, I don't like going to the Tomball H-E-B. There's too many Mexicans there. That's satanic. And my wife said, oh, well, I married one. And my kids are Mexican too. Oh, um, no, no, just stop. You're, that's racism. That's an affront to the gospel. And any jokes, inklings, all that stuff is against Christ. And the cross is the wrecking ball against those things, uniting all races and all nations, all who would believe in Jesus forever in him, from Texas to Georgia with Gia, one in Christ. And the cross is an instrument of glory. Look at verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, 31, so that, what's the purpose of those things? So that, here's why these things occurred. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In context, boast in Jesus. The cross is a vehicle to boast and to glory in Jesus, to give God glory. Boasting is a mega theme in Corinth. They are wanting, this is not a, a bragging kind of thing, like bragging about hitting a three-pointer in Trey Benford's face at Open Gym. Like that's not the kind of bragging Paul's talking about. The Bible's okay with that kind of bragging. Just kidding. Now, this boasting is a kind of, I'm finding my worth and exaltation and significance in this. Not just bragging about some achievement, but really like I'm, I'm, I'm banking on this. I'm boasting, I'm exalting this thing. So Paul says, you have nothing to brag about. If you want to brag about something, if you want to prop something up, you want to find worth in something, he says, let's exalt Jesus. Let's boast in him. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Galatians 6, far be it for me to boast, except except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I hear those verses again, and I'm just baffled by the free offer of salvation, no strings attached, no glory in man, all glory in Christ and his cross, and offered to all of us. And why does God do this? Like I hear Ephesians 2 and I hear Galatians 6, like why is God so generous? Why is God so gracious? Why is God willing to save such idiotic, foolish, non-impressive people like you and me? Because that's what God does. They're at the heart of the universe. There is a love too great for us to even comprehend. And it springs out of who God is in him very self, demonstrated in the cross of Christ. So now... The most important thing you could consider is what is the cross to you? I mean, truly. What is the cross of Christ to you? Was it just something you prayed about once and moved on? If so, you may not be a Christian. But is it something that really impacts your everyday life? Something that you realize that apart from him, I can do nothing. 
Is it central to your life? Does it thrill you? Does it bore you? Or do you view the cross of Christ as kind of a downer on your life? Like putting a cramp in your style. Do you see Jesus' death and resurrection for your sins as the anchor for your soul and the wings for your hope? There's no better thing to consider. What is the cross of Christ to me? And how does it change my everyday life? How does the cross of Christ change my speech? How does the cross of Christ change my parenting? How does the cross of Christ change my marriage, my, my work? How, how does the cross of Christ, this is what 1 Corinthians is showing, this is what the whole Bible is showing us. So let's remember Christ, not like that tape rewinder, but as our Savior together forever. Let's remember him at the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. For serving the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to come forward and band. You can come forward now, Lord. Would you help us to not fall into the temptation of our brothers and sisters at Corinth? to want to move beyond the cross and to look to other things more than the cross and the empty tomb. Now, Lord, would you help us to embrace the folly of the cross, that our lives and our words and our songs and our ministries, our churches, our ministries, all our parenting, all that we do would be about Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Help us, Lord. May we enjoy Jesus, who is our wisdom, our power, our sanctification, and our redemption. And may we boast in the Lord. Not just today, Lord. Every day. May we boast in Christ. It's in his mighty and awesome name that we pray. Amen.